Well, hey, everybody, and thanks for joining us today as we are continuing to unpack these basic beliefs of the Christian faith. Beliefs that are at the core of not only who we are as individual Christ followers, but beliefs that are at the core of who we are as a church family. As I've said throughout this series, the, the reason that we're going back to the basics is really twofold. One is for stability, right? In the midst of all the chaos and change around us, it's just good to be reminded of the unchanging God whom we serve. And then secondly, we're looking at these basic beliefs to bring unity within our church family. As we see more and more political and social divisions uh, taking hold within our community and beginning really even to start to integrate the church family, it's important to remember that in spite of all our differences, it is these essential beliefs around which we as a church are united. Or as we like to say, on these essentials of the faith, we have unity on the non-essentials of the faith, we have great freedom, but in all things, we show love. And so today, we're gonna look at what is to me our most difficult, divisive, and politically incorrect belief that we as Christians hold, and that is our beliefs about Jesus and salvation. Right? And, and our belief as a church, our belief statement about salvation is this, that salvation is a gift from God to man, and that man can never make up for his sin by self-improvement or good works, only by trusting in Jesus Christ as God's offer of forgiveness can man be saved. Key word, only right? Our belief is not that Jesus is a way to salvation. It's not even that Jesus is the best way to salvation. Our beliefs as Christians is that Jesus is the only way for salvation for any person anywhere on the planet. And it is that belief is, is why we as Christ followers are often seen by the world and the culture around us as being arrogant narrow-minded, and intolerant. And you know what? If we were the ones making these claims, I would agree with that. If, if we were saying we figured out the only way, if this was our idea, it would be arrogant, intolerant, and narrow-minded. But this is not our claim. This is Jesus' claim. In fact, notice what Jesus says to his followers in John 14, 6. It says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, for non-believers, and maybe some of you are, or kind of seekers or skeptics, this statement by Jesus is a stumbling block to faith for you. This idea that there can only be one way to God, one way to heaven, one way to salvation. That's a stumbling block for you. Maybe you're really good with Jesus' teachings about love your neighbor and turn the other cheek and help the poor. You like all of those things of Jesus' teaching, but this statement just really bugs you. 
Now, for those of us who are Christ followers, for those of us who truly believe that claim, even for us, this statement by Jesus is a struggle for us to fully understand. It's a struggle for us when people ask us about it, to try to explain it, to try to make sense of it. In fact, that's why so often in the news media, when you see a Christian leader or Christian celebrity being interviewed by the secular media, a lot of times they will hit them with this issue. Larry King was great at this. Almost any time he had a, a, you know, a Christian leader or a pastor, he would always hit them with this issue. And they would ask the question this way. So you believe that if somebody is a Jew, a Muslim, or a Hindu, that they're going to go to hell? And either the person asked that question would kind of stumble and bumble around and try to do some nebulous explanation of it, or some would just say yes and come off as being cold-hearted and narrow-minded. Either way, there was no good answer. That's why it's a great gotcha question. And maybe some of you, when you interact with friends or family members or coworkers, you find this difficult issue to talk about. Here's the thing I want you to know. At least in my own heart and in my own life, after wrestling honestly with this issue for years, I've come to two conclusions about this statement that Jesus made. One, that Jesus was telling the truth. And two, that Jesus made this statement not out of arrogance, but out of great compassion. And so we're gonna wrestle with that a little bit today because the reason this statement is so controversial is because that it clashes with three great myths about Christianity. Three things about Christianity that many people believe. And so as we unpack these myths, we will get a better understanding not only of the truth of this statement of Jesus, but the incredible beauty of Jesus' claim to being the only way to salvation. So let's jump in. Myth number one is that all religions are basically the same, right? If you strip away the surface level differences, if you really get down to the essentials of what religions teach, they're all basically the same. They all basically teach the brotherhood and sisterhood of humanity and the fatherhood or maybe the motherhood of God, but they're all basically the same. Or as Oprah Winfrey famously said, there are many paths up the mountain, but they all lead to the top. That all of these religions, if if these beliefs are sincerely held, they really all get people to God, whoever they are, whatever path they follow. But here's the thing, with this statement, Jesus automatically puts Christianity in a class by itself. So the reality is that Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. In fact, notice what Acts chapter 4 says. It says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Christianity is unique 
because Jesus is unique. You know, other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you the way to eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you how to find enlightenment. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I'll show you how to get spiritual nourishment. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus said, follow me. You see the difference? Christianity is not about following a leader who can show us the way. It's about following a leader who is the way. It's different. The other difference between Christianity and every other world religion is in the difference between do and done. Every other religion in the world is about what I can do to get to God, what I can do to appease or to make God happy or to fulfill requirements so that I can spend eternity with him. Now, they have different do's, but, you know, like if read the Tibetan prayer wheel or avoid eating certain foods or giving alms to the poor or making a pilgrimage, they all have different lists of things to do to get to God, but they're all about what I can do to reach God. Christianity is about what's been done for me that I could never do for myself. Christianity is not about us trying to reach out to God. It is about God reaching out to us, of making a way through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and freedom for eternity. And you even see this difference in the different religious text, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a story in the Hindu religious book that is eerily similar to the story Jesus told about the prodigal son. Interestingly, both stories talk about a rebellious son who takes advantage of the father, walks his own path, lives his own way, and then ends up hitting rock bottom. And in both stories, the sons get up and return to the father. But in the Hindu parable, the father makes the son serve him and earn his way back into the family. But in the story Jesus told, the son is welcome simply by getting up and walking back towards the father. He's immediately restored to the family. You see the difference, the difference between do and done. That's why the Bible says in Titus 3, 5, he, talking about God, he saved us because of his mercy. It was not because of good deeds we did to be right with him. He saved us through the washing that made us new people through the Holy Spirit. It's not that we as Christians don't believe in doing good works doing good things, we do. But for us, those good works are not the route to salvation. They are the result of the salvation we've already received through God's incredible grace and mercy. 
Another difference between Christianity and all the other religions in the world is the way to God and the view of God. As Christians, we believe that there is one God, a personal God, a loving God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talked about that just a couple of weeks ago. But in some religions, God God is not one God. God is millions of gods. And everything is God. You've God. I'm God. The trees are God. There's God everywhere and everything is God. Some religions view God as not a, a loving, personal God, but a distant and harsh God who has to be pleased through behaviors. Buddha, by the way, was noncommittal on the whole thing of God existing. He was kind of agnostic. He wasn't really sure if God existed. My point is it may make us feel better to think that all religions are the same and all paths lead to God, but the truth is Christianity cannot be reconciled with any other religion. And if it would, it wouldn't make sense. Think about it this way. How much sense would it make for God to come over to this side of the world and say to the people who lived in this culture that, you know, I'm a loving God, I'm one God, and you can't earn your way to me, so I came and made a way. And then to go over to people on this side of the world and say, forget what I said to those people. I'm not one God, I'm many gods. And I didn't make a way, you have to earn your way. And then go over to this part of the world and say, forget what I told about those two groups of people about what I was like, right? No, I'm I'm." More multiple gods. I'm everywhere and and all of this. It wouldn't make sense, right? God would be unstable, right? Untrustworthy, schizophrenic to do that. That doesn't make sense. But what does make sense to me is that God would reveal himself to the whole world through one amazing, dramatic way. By wrapping himself in human flesh and entering our world and then ensuring that that story would be preserved and passed down from generation to generation and be spread all around the world. See, that makes sense to me. This idea of all different paths leading to God doesn't make sense, at least to me. Christianity cannot be reconciled with other religions. That leads us to the second myth, and that is that everyone's truth is equally valid, right? Well, you know, Christianity may be different from every other religion, but it's just one truth among many truths. It's just one philosophies among many philosophies. And let me just tell you, this myth has has garnered great popularity over the last 10 or 15 years. As we as a culture have let go of absolute truth, That now means that truth is individualized, right? You can have your truth and I can have my truth and even though they're completely opposite, somehow they are both equally valid. And the truth is this really resonates with us as Americans because we live in a country where people are free to believe whatever they want. And in fact, those beliefs, whatever they are, are constitutionally protected, 
right? You have a right in this country to believe whatever you want to believe. But listen, just because that belief has equal protection under the law does not mean that it is equally true. Lee Strobel, the Christian writer, tells a story about a friend of his who was a columnist for the Chicago Tribune named Mike Royko. And Mike one day wrote a column. He was kind of frustrated with just how stupid people act all the time. So he wrote this column and said he was starting a new religion called Asylumism. And in this church of Asylumism, this is what they believed. That millions of years ago on a planet far, far away, there was an intelligent race of aliens, smart, evolved race. But one day, some of the aliens on that planet went to a party and they ate some veggie dip that was tainted. And that disease affected their brain and it caused them to act goofy and do stupid things. And, and the other aliens tried everything they could to, to cure it, but there was nothing they could do. And so they decided that these infected aliens that acted stupid, they needed an asylum. They needed a place to go where they would be free to, to act goofy and run around and not mess up everybody else. And we in the church of asylumism believe that earth is that place place. It's where they were sin. And he said, if you don't believe me, just look around. Now look, obviously Mike was making up a story, but think about this. If he wanted to, he could actually register this church in the United States as a legitimate 501c3. He could receive tax-deductible donations. He could start schools and colleges all over the world. And even though that's a silly belief, he would still have equal protection and be able to do anything that any other church or mosque or synagogue would be. But equal protection doesn't mean equally true. That's why Jesus said in John 8, 32, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say you'll know a truth, one truth among many. He said you will know the truth. And then Jesus said that truth is him. Now certainly anybody can claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Anybody can claim that, but it doesn't make it true. In fact, over the centuries, many people have. Does the name Jemima Wilkinson ring a bell with any of you? I didn't think so, right? Jemima Wilkinson was born in Rhode Island in 1752. And at some point in her life, she came to believe that she was God's only daughter. She was the Messiah, the daughter of God. And she was able to convince about 200 people who became her followers. And for years, they followed her around, believing that she was the way, the truth, and the life, that she was the only way to God. In fact, history tells us one day, she and some of her followers were taking a nature hike, and they came onto a lake, and Jemima stood on the shore of that lake and declared to her followers that she was going to walk across that lake. She was going to walk on the water, and she said, do you believe that I can walk across? Across this lake and they said yes we believe she said no 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 no. do you really believe that I can walk on the water and they said yes yes we believe you can do it and she said well if you already believe it then I don't need to do it 
And she walked around the edge of the lake. And of course, she lost a few followers. They got skeptical then. But what really cost her was in 1820 when she died, she had told her followers, don't bury me because three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And so sure enough, when she died, they didn't bury her. They just kind of laid her out there and they waited one day, two days, three days, nothing happened. And slowly but surely, one by one, those followers drifted away. And now almost no one remembers the name of Jemima Wilkinson. See, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus didn't just claim to be the only way to God. He backed up that claim with some unique credentials that gave him unique credibility. Four of them I want you to write down on your outline. Four unique credentials of Jesus. One are the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. There are dozens and dozens of ancient prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus, that were written thousands of years before he was born, and Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies with his life and even his death. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, well, maybe because Jesus was Jewish, he knew the Hebrew scriptures, maybe he manipulated his life right, to fulfill those prophecies. Like there's a prophecy that Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And so Jesus getting ready to go to Jerusalem, knowing that prophecy, tells his followers, go get me a donkey. And he rides in on it. So I understand you could be skeptical about that. But what about the prophecies about where Messiah would be born? He didn't have any control over that. Or what lineage or family line he would have. Or the time of his birth. You know, there's a prophecy that predicted the exact time and date when the Messiah would be born, right? There's no way he could manipulate that, right? In fact, mathematicians have done a probability study on this using computers, and they have determined that one person being able to fulfill all of these prophecies in one lifetime is not just slim, it's not just nearly, it's not just a million to one, it is mathematically impossible. So the prophecies give Jesus unique credibility. Another thing that does that is his character. Jesus' character. Here's what I mean. Usually when you get to know someone, the more you get to know them, the more you see kind of their flaws and cracks, like their public persona looks good, but behind the scenes, the people that spend the most time with them realize they've got some flaws, some issues, because, you know, nobody's perfect. But the exact opposite happens with Jesus. The people who were closest to him, John and Peter, two of the three people who were closer to Jesus than anybody else during his life, they both claim that Jesus was without sin, that there was no sin in him. And listen to this, they held on to that claim even to the point of it costing them their lives for that belief. The prophecies, his character, fourth are the miracles, right? The miracles validate Jesus' credibility. In fact, Even Jesus' critics concede that he could do miracles. See, Jesus didn't do miracles in the dark, you know, only with his followers around him, right? He did his miracles in broad daylight, surrounding by the very critics, the people who were trying to shut him down, 
right? Think about it. The Jewish leaders who were in opposition to Jesus, right? They didn't say he's not miraculous. They just argued about whether the miracles he did came from God or from Satan. They didn't deny it. The Quran, the holy scripture of Muslims, claims clearly that Jesus had the power to do miracles, that he worked miracles. That's part of his credibility. And then lastly, most importantly, the resurrection. Jesus has credibility because of the resurrection. You can find Jemima Wilkins' bones in a grave, right? You, you can find Muhammad. No other religions claim that their founder rose from the dead. And yet Jesus didn't. He didn't just do it. He appeared to over 500 people in the weeks following his resurrection. Now think about this. Not 500 of his closest followers. 500 people, most of whom were not followers. When Jesus died, he only had 120 followers. Right, so the people that, the majority of the people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection were not already convinced, right? In fact, that's why just a few weeks after Jesus' resurrection in the city of Jerusalem, Peter goes to the street and speaks to the crowd and notice what he says, Acts 2.22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him as you well know. And they didn't say, we don't know. You're telling us. We never saw it. No, they don't say that. And in fact, what they do do is 3,000 of them give their lives to follow Jesus that very day. See, the, the truth about Jesus is that he's not just a truth. It's not just one truth among many. He is the truth. And his life and death and resurrection prove that he is who he says he is. And that leads us back kind of to where we started. This third myth about Christianity is that it's arrogant to claim Jesus as the only way. That it is arrogant to claim that Jesus is the only way. And here's the thing. I would agree with that if we were saying there's many ways to heaven and ours is the best. But that's not the claim we're making. See, I believe it's not arrogant prideful or intolerant to act on the truth. When I was born, the doctor immediately informed my parents that I was suffering from a disease called jaundice. And I don't know if you're familiar with this. Jaundice is kind of a liver disease and, and it makes the skin kind of yellow and the whites of the eyes yellow. And, and I was born with it. Immediately, the doctor said, your child has jaundice. This can be a deadly disease, but the good news is there's a simple cure, a simple treatment. All we have to do is place him under a light, a special light for a couple of days, maybe even a couple of hours, and that light will cause the liver to start functioning properly, right? Good news, right? Bad disease, easy cure. Imagine if my parents are like, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not comfortable with this one-way thing. 
right? This whole put a child under a light, that sounds way too simple. There, there, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's many ways. Maybe if we just, you know, scrub him and dip him in bleach, we can turn his skin back to the normal color. And the doctor would be like, no, 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 you don't understand. Check my credentials. I've studied this. I've treated thousands of children with jaundice. And I'm telling you, the only way to cure it is with this light. That's not arrogance. That's love, right? It's loving to act on the truth. In fact, I would say this. It's selfish and cruel not to share a truth like this with others. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter 3. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Listen, I'm not saying that Christians aren't arrogant. There's way too many arrogant, narrow-minded, prideful Christians in the world today. But that arrogance is not based on disbelief. It's based on some issue in their personality or some brokenness or hurt in them. If you're a seeker or you've always been skeptical about this whole Christianity and Jesus is the way, I want you to hear my heart today. This is not some preacher standing up here telling you my beliefs are better than your beliefs or I know more than you. This is just a guy who in his life has experienced the brokenness of his own failures and the emptiness that comes from pursuing life my way. But he's also a guy who has discovered firsthand the hope and the healing and the purpose that comes from following Jesus, from living in this truth that God has made a way where there was no way. So I want to close this morning with the question that always comes up whenever you talk about this topic of Jesus being the only way. And the question is, well, what about people who've never heard of Jesus? People who are living in isolation someplace out, do, do they go to hell because they've never heard of Jesus? Because that doesn't seem right. You know what? That is a tough question. And I wish I could tell you I can answer that completely for you today, but I can't. There are no explicit answers in the Bible, but there are clues the Bible gives us about people who have never heard of Jesus. And as I've wrestled with these clues myself, it's given me some great peace when it comes to this question. So let me give them to you. One of the things the Bible tells us clearly is that God places people in the best place for them to find him. That God puts people living in the best place at the best time in order for them to be able to find him. Notice, Acts 17 says, from one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And notice, he, God, marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and to find him, though he is not far from any of 
us. See, listen, understand, to God, he doesn't see us as groups of people living in different places. He doesn't lump us in as part of a group. He sees us as individuals whom he loves. And he has put us in the best place at the best time in order for us to reach out to him. God's not playing hide and seek. He doesn't favor people in this culture, so he makes sure they know the story. And some people over here, you know, like maybe they might be good enough to figure it out and reach out. No, he's close to anyone and everyone if they're willing to reach out. Second clue is that everyone has a moral standard written on their heart. And we all intuitively know we've broken that standard. That's why in any culture, anywhere in the world, you'll find some form of appeasement worship to some kind of God, right? That you gotta do these things. Everybody intuitively knows that I'm not perfect, that I'm separated from God, and I need to do something. Interestingly, Paul was talking to the Jews about the Gentiles, right? These people who didn't grow up in the Jew church. They didn't grow up with the scriptures and the laws and the sacrificial systems. And look at what Paul says, Romans 2, 15. He says, they, told me these people who didn't know all this stuff about God, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bearing witness. We all know we're not perfect. We all know we're separated from God. It's not the problem. Third clue, everyone has enough information from observing creation to know that God exists and yet many reject him anyway. Romans 1, Paul writes, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made from creation so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They knew there was something bigger than themselves. They just said, I'd rather do it myself. And then lastly, this is the clue that gives me the greatest sense of peace with this difficult question. It's this, God is always just. God is always just. Genesis 18, 25 says, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Answer, yes. And because I know that I can trust God even when I can't figure out, and I know that God sees everyone as an individual and places them at the right place at the right time to give them the right opportunity to reach out, even though there's more than enough information where they can read or have a Bible or ever even heard the name of Jesus, God is just. So bottom line for me, I don't believe people are kept out of heaven because they lack some piece of information. I believe people are left out of heaven because they have rejected God in whatever way he's revealed himself to them. And they have decided they will do life without him. And when they die, God honors that choice through eternity. Now, here's the thing. We're not isolated. We've all heard the name of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. We all know this information. 
And so maybe instead of spending all your time worrying about what happens to people who live somewhere on the other side of the world, maybe what you want to wrestle with today is what about you? You're accountable now because you've heard the truth. The question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond to this great news of not that Jesus is just the only way, but that he has made a way for you, whoever you are, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever culture or background or experience, God's invitation to come home is for you today. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here today and you've struggled with this question, but you know deep down in your heart, what you've really struggled with is surrendering your life to a God that you can trust. Maybe you've just kept living your way and you've used these questions and issues as an excuse to not have to wrestle with the truth. And if that's you, my my prayer today is that the Holy Spirit would ignite a light bulb in your mind and in your heart that would cause you to run to the one who made a way. The one who died to free you from the power of sin and selfishness in your life. Or maybe today you're, you're a believer, but you've struggled with this belief, right? And, and you've wanted to feel the comfort of everybody's okay and everybody's right. I don't want any conflict. My hope and my prayer is that God has given you some truth that could help you stand not in arrogance, but help you take a stand in love with a desire for all to know the truth, whoever they are, wherever they come from. Oh, Jesus, I thank you for this overwhelming good news. May we leave here today transformed by it through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your great name we pray. Amen.